Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our latest criminal case. Tom and Eileen Longerkin, an American couple with seemingly uneventful lives, prepared to return back home after three years of volunteering in various humanitarian missions in Africa and the South Pacific. But before they did that, they had other plans to take a three-month break to relax and travel the world. On January 25, 1998, while they were on a scuba diving trip along the Australian coast, the Longergans mysteriously disappeared. A month later, two wetsuits and a disturbing message appeared off the coast of a beach in Queensland. Help us before we die. But although the agency in charge of the trip was sued for negligence, the case took a whole new turn after the discovery of the couple's two personal diaries. Were they forgotten at sea? Eaten by sharks? Or really, what happened to the Lonergans? That's exactly what we will find out in today's criminal case. Suva, Fiji, December 28, 1997. Celebrating Christmas and birthday in the tropics. Seated next to a plastic Christmas tree bought at the last minute from a local spa, Tom Lonergan removed the wrapping paper from the package handed to him by his wife. Before removing the pieces of garland-patterned red tape, Tom shook the package to try and guess what was inside a habit that he had since childhood. Go on, go ahead and open it. Well, that's just my luck to be celebrating Christmas and my birthday within the space of two days. That means I get one present for both events. Oh, stop complaining and just look what is inside. Scuba Pro Synergy Diving Goggles. As he grinned from year to year, Tom took off his oversized reading glasses to try on his new goggles. Aline sat in front of him, overjoyed. She couldn't help but laugh as she watched her husband imitate a dolphin swimming on the floor of their small living room. Your free diving act looks more like a big sea turtle washed up on shore. What a wonderful gift, sweetheart. Thank you so much, gasped Tom with his face buried in the carpet as if he were free diving. You have most definitely earned your diving certificate and that's a big deal. Now you have no more excuses not to start training at sea. Training at sea? Don't you mean in the pool? Tom carefully put his gift back in the box and changed the subject. Phew, I'm glad this mission is over. I can't wait to leave Fiji and go back home. I asked mother to make us a half a dozen apple pies and to put them in the fridge for when we get back. With a scoop of vanilla ice cream melting all over the place and some salted caramel butter sauce. Tom and Eileen Lonergan were a couple that got along with each other well. They were an uncomplicated pair and free of drama. 
They had been married for 10 years and had no children. They enjoyed each other's company and did a great many things together. Thomas Joseph Lonergan was born on December 28, 1964, and Eileen Cassidy Haynes on March 13, 1969, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They both were from Irish-American families, where their Catholic faith was very prevalent, especially in Tom's family. They met at Louisiana State University when they were doing their graduate studies and quickly fell in love. They later married in Jefferson, Texas on June 24, 1988. At 29 years old, Eileen was a pretty brunette with a wise and friendly face. She always dressed very modestly and never wore makeup, probably preferring to always have a natural look. On the other hand, Tom, who was 34 years old, was a young man with big glasses. Although he was extremely gifted, he nevertheless suffered from hair loss that left him prematurely bald. Eileen had a well-rounded personality and was playful and adventurous, while Tom was more of a homebody who was shy, not very confident, and embarrassed by his thick lens glass. It had always been an impediment to his social life during his high school and also later during university. Eileen's talkative nature gave him a zest for life and some self-confidence at a time when he began to believe that no woman would ever be interested in him. Eileen, who had always been more reckless than her husband, was an excellent swimmer. She had been passionate about deep-sea diving ever since she first took it up at the age of 15. She even took part in several regional and national competitions in the United States and New Zealand, where she later moved to as a part of her job. Her training efforts finally paid off when she received the Master Scuba Diver Certificate, a prestigious award that permitted its holders to become a professional diving instructor. Tom soon became enamored by his wife's passion and followed her footsteps. After persevering for three years, he too earned the same sought-after title. In 1994, the Lonerguns embarked on a humanitarian mission, first in South Africa, later in South Pacific, as part of the American Peace Corps, which specialized in charitable works. When they were transferred to Fiji, for the first time the couple found themselves exposed to the disadvantaged populations of the former British colony. In Tuvalu, they taught mathematics and English to children and handed out snacks, binders, school books, and markers. The couple also led AIDS awareness program through demonstrations that promoted the benefits of condom use. At the time, their job occupied most of their day, not to mention their seminars that they were also required to attend. In December 1997, Lonergan's volunteer work was about to come to an end, and neither one of them was interested in renewing their contracts, at least not right away. In fact, they had other things on their mind. Traveling all over the world, meeting new people, trying out local cuisines, and hearing the beauty of other languages was everything that Tom and Eileen had ever wanted. When their mission was over, they thought that they might consider starting a family. Anything was possible. After successfully setting enough money aside to embark on their dream adventure, the Lonergans started counting down the days until the beginning of their trip. They set themselves a three-month period before returning to Louisiana. Their first destination was a major one, the north of Australia. On January 18, 1998, on board a Qantas airline flight, Tom and Eileen, Kusiswawa and its typical Hindu dwellings passed before their eyes, and the wait for their adventure was finally over. Then they headed over to Queensland the most beautiful region in Australia with its turquoise beaches, its remarkable underwater wildlife, and idyllic landscapes. The area owed much of its worldwide fame to its coral reefs from the Great Barrier Reef, which is now a protected heritage site and where fishing is strictly regulated. In the depths of the warm waters of the South Pacific, a whole other world existed filled with cloudfish, whales, manta rays, tortoises, gray sharks, and bull sharks. 
the tourism industry was the most substantial in the northern part of the country. The main city Cairns, which is the destination of choice for most tourists, as well as marinas such as Port Douglas and Indian Heads are visited by close to 2 million people every year from all over the world, but mostly from Europe. But several people come for the most popular activities, which is deep-sea diving. And with good reason, the area boasts one of the most beautiful natural sites in the world where the water temperature is close to 25 degrees throughout the year. Upon their arrival in Cairns, Tom and Aline booked a room in a small, unpretentious, but still very friendly hotel. There were several other tourists staying at the same place, and when evening arrived, everyone met at one of the city's restaurants before ending the night at a local pub. Their vacation seemed to be going well. On Friday, July 23, 1993, the Lonergans visited one of the travel agencies in Cairns to book an underwater trip for Sunday, which was still two days away. When they returned to the hotel, they began to think about all the wonders that awaited them. They were so excited that they could hardly sleep. Early on the morning of Sunday, January 25, 1998, a BTS shuttle bus picked them up at their hotel to bring them to Port Douglas, where a boat from a company called Outer Edge was waiting. Outer Edge, like a dozen other similar agencies, was booked all around the year, which meant that reservations had to be made months in advance. The Lonergans were therefore quite lucky to have managed to secure a spot after making a late reservation. Each day, Outer Edge made return trips between Port Douglas and the reefs of Tongue Reef, Bat Reef, of course, a St. Crispin, which was the spot where the travelers had to go, and it was also one of the most frequently visited. The weather forecast for the day was warm, and the powerful Australian sun was already high in the sky. Despite a lengthy stay in Fiji, Aline was still prone to sunburn and couldn't resist slathering herself from head to toe in high-protection sunblock. She made sure that her husband did the same even though he complained that the pungent white cream gave him a headache. Once they were on the wharf, about 20 other people who had booked the same trip started making their farewells and goodbyes. Conversations started up quickly. We're from Melbourne, and we're from Auckland and New Zealand. Oh, you're Americans? What a coincidence. I think there's a couple from New York also on this trip. In front of the small group of tourists, the boat's captain began making the introductions. He was the captain and skipper, Jeffrey Ian, Jack Nairn, and the rest of the crew was comprised of five other sailors and three instructors. Captain Nairn was very archetype of an Australian surfer. He was tall, blonde, and a dark-skinned complexion as a result of living in a place where the sun poured down 365 days a year. He wore an ordinary tank top, shorts, flip-flops, and pair of somewhat old-fashioned dark glasses. One of the members of the crew started to do a head count of the passengers in order to begin boarding. There were 26 people in total. Following that, Captain Aaron began to outline the itinerary for the trip. They would go to three different spots, namely St. Crispin Reef, Agent Court Reef, and Fish City, which got its nickname because of its abundant underwater wildlife. He also set out the basic rules, no alcohol on board, no behavior that might interfere with the boat's operations, and tourists were required to listen and heed the diving instructor's advice all times. In the middle of the group, Aline and Tom gave each other an amused and knowing look. The excursion was set to begin at 8.30 in the morning, and the return to Port Douglas was scheduled for 4.30. St. Crispin was located 22 kilometers off the coast. The adventure was about to begin. The group of tourists was immediately intoxicated by the sea air and the blue expanse of the Pacific. All around them, the water was a dreamy turquoise blue, and some dolphins had already begun to appear. As they frolicked in the air, the tourists squealed with delight and began to take out their cameras. Upon arrival at the first reef, the boat dropped anchor and came to a stop. 
the crew started to bring out the diving equipment and the wetsuits. On board, everyone was caught up in the excitement that this kind of expedition often generated. Although some of the tourists were excellent swimmers, this would be their first time diving, while others like Aline and Tom Lonergans were more experienced. Nevertheless, Captain Noreen and his crew once again reminded the group that it was formally prohibited to descend more than the regulated 12 meters, otherwise the pressure would be excessive, which would potentially cause problems. Needless to say, caution should be exercised. At 10.30, they had their first dive and were scheduled to be back on board in 30 minutes. As they stood on the platform, the instructor supervised the whole process. With their help, the Lonergans and the other tourists put on their wetsuits and made sure that they put everything on in their proper order. Snorkel, harness, air hose, stabilization jacket, compressed air bottle, as well as the inflation and bleed valve. They were ready. Wearing their big flippers, the divers went into the water two by two. Tom and Aline were the last ones. One after the other, they splashed. In the depths, their eyes and ears were open to a whole new world. It was clear how St. Crispin earned the nickname of Flower's Garden because of its singular beauty and the variety of algae and coral that lived there. The 26 divers were separated into small groups of three or four depending on who they had been traveling with. The Lonergans did not stray and remained close to the group. It was around 11 when everyone returned on board to the outer edge. On the trestle table set up next to the benches, a selection of lobster and fried fish awaited the guests. Everyone spoke at the same time, each person sharing their initial impressions of their adventure, the wonders of the marine wildlife and the photos that they had taken. Say, Captain Noreen, do you know if there are great white sharks lurking around here? Captain Noreen readjusted his sunglasses and answered in an unambiguous tone. From what I know, not really. They prefer to swim and hunt on the other side of the reef, but the water is cooler and there are a lot more fishes. Well, I read an issue of National Geography that many fishers in the area have had at least an arm or a leg torn off by a shark, exclaimed a tiny red-haired lady fearfully. Everyone in the group shuddered. Of course not, said Captain Noreen reassuringly as he cleared his throat. Those are just stories you know how competitors are. They'll invent anything to keep people off from coming to Port Douglas. You have my word that there are no sharks around here. Eileen, while picking at the pieces of fried calamari on her plate, gently nudged Tom, who had been following the conversation from the very beginning with great interest. Do you hear that, Lynn? Someone else who has seen too much Spielberg movies, I think. She whispered in his ears reassuringly. After an hour's rest, the group went back down into the depths of the second dive for the morning. At one, they returned to the boat and had a sumptuous lunch. At two, it was time for the third and final dive before going back to dry land. As they had done earlier that morning, the divers began to descend two by two. They were much more playful and emboldened now than they had been before. In the midst of all the commotion, Tom and Eileen took Catherine Traverso, the lead instructor aside. We didn't want to say anything in front of the captain or others, but we were hoping to separate from the group a bit so that we could swim as a couple and do our own thing. What do you mean by your own thing? Asked the instructor. You know very well that it's against the rules. We're professional divers, Aline politely interrupted. We've been even certified. Here, check it out. Our PADI open water. There's absolutely no need for you to worry about us. We'll be back before the signal. In 30 minutes, just like the captain planned. Catherine Traverso glanced at the lone organ suspiciously. It was true that in group outings, there were always disruptive elements, and these two Americans were no exception. 
However, after some hesitation, yet another quick look at their plastic encased certificates, she nodded her head in the affirmative and handed them back to the owners. Okay, you can go. Just be back in 30 minutes. It was about 3 p.m. when Captain Noreen rang the horn signaling the end of the day's underwater excursion. One after another, each diver began to rise to the surface to get back on board the boat. Right away, one of the crew members, armed with a notepad and a pen, began to do a head count of all the divers. 2, 4, 8, 10, 15, 20, 26. The count was complete. Now they could pick the anchor. The captain then gave the order to pull up the ladders and the stern of the boat. And while everyone was changing into dry clothes, one of the sailors dived down to retrieve the anchor. After a final check to make sure that everyone had been accounted for, Captain Noreen started the boat with the loud roar of the motor to head back to Port Douglas. It was around 4.30 when everyone was again on dry land. They stepped off onto the dock and waved their goodbyes. A few of the more generous tourists secretly tipped the sailors and the team set about cleaning the diving equipment and the boat in preparation for the next day's outing. Of course, there were always those who left things behind. A pair of glasses, a towel, sunblock 60, or seasickness pills, but usually it was canvas travel bags that fell under one of the benches that one of the instructors retrieved to add to the list of the found items. It's worthwhile to note that Captain Noreen and his crew knew from the outset that it was quite unusual that tourists came back to retrieve items forgotten on board, often because they didn't have the time or the desire to do so. Besides, it was rare that people stayed in Port Douglas more than a day or two. Just like Outer Edge, all the sightseeing agencies in the area had at least a hangar where the shelves overflowed with items forgotten after disembarking. Some of them were like the caves of Alibaba, filled with bags, towels, sun protectors, glasses, watches and much more. While the previous divers all went back to the loaded shuttle buses to drive passengers to their respective hotels, there was still one lone bus at the marina from BTS Transport Company that Tom and Alina had taken that very morning to get from Cairns to Port Douglas, and which was now waiting to take them back. Norman Steegen, the bus driver, could not help but constantly look at his watch. Where the hell are the two Americans? If they decided to change their plans, they could have at least taken the trouble to give some notice, as any civilized person would do. But no, like most drivers, Norman had an excellent visual memory. He remembered that the prudish couples wore a linen dress that went down to her ankles while he had a thick reading glasses that made him look like a country doctor. On the bus, the other passengers had comfortably settled into their seats and were now beginning to show signs of their impatience. Where did the driver go? I have to go now. My checkout is in an hour. I should have rented a car. As he paced back and forth outside ignoring the passenger's remark, Steejan started to seriously worry. He refused to move until the couple returned. When he got back on the bus, he was greeted with shouts of hurrah. Until he took the English and keys and stepped outside once more as the passengers yelled and complained. He left to make some inquiries with the various crew members who were on site. He gave them all a description of the loner goods, but apparently no one had seen the couple. He went to ask around the cafes, restaurants, and gym, a gift shop, and a convenience store in the marina, but had no success in finding the couple. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. No one had to run into the loan organs. At 6 p.m., out of desperation, Norman had no other choice but to report the absence of the two Americans to the office of the transport company for whom he worked and then to Corinne, his boss. She too called the owner of Outer Edge. Jack Norrin speaking. This is Miss Corinne, president of the BTS bus company. I'm calling about the two tourists from Carnes that one of our drivers picked up this morning and who signed up for a trip on one of your boats. What are their names? Thomas Joseph Lonergan and Elaine Cassidy. Oh yeah, remember, I remember those Americans, right? Yeah. Oh, well, they came back with all the others from the trip this morning and probably left to look around or have a drink somewhere. Without letting the driver know what they were doing? Listen, I think that you are used to dealing with tourists as much as I am. We both know that this kind of attitude is not uncommon. At 7 p.m., Steejan finally agreed to start the bus and head for Cairns without the Lonergans on board. At the hotel in Cairns, an employee noticed that the Lonergans had not come back from their outing and alerted the management, which they were officially required to do. This meant that they would be charged an extra night. They could have at least made an effort to call ahead just the same. With a copy of their keys, the receptionist entered the Lonergan's room and noticed their things were still out there. In the bathroom, he found women's toiletries, men's underwear drying under the fan, as well as a pair of reading glasses sitting on one of their dressers. In the closet, the couple's two suitcases were still there wide open. But where had they gone? And why hadn't they taken their luggage with them if they weren't planning to stay any longer? It was Monday, January 26, 1998, in Port Douglas, where the charter boat Outer Edge was about to go on a new trip with the same itinerary as the day before. Today, Captain Narin welcomed a group of Italian tourists on board. Just like the previous day, the divers followed the same route and would have three underwater dives lasting 30 minutes each before heading back to Port Douglas in the late afternoon. At some point during the day, one of the Italian divers came back on board with a coated sneakers and ballast belt which is usually used as a countermeasure and was anxious to show it to the instructor Catherine Traverso, who tried to be reassuring. It was not unheard of for swimmers to lose items like these as a result of water pressure. At the end of the day, when the group of Italian tourists left the outer edge, the crew, as a part of their daily routine, began to clean the boat and to take an inventory of the items found on board. Among the items left behind this time were a pair of glasses, a handbag, and a pair of diving shoes. The captain brought everything back to the agency's hangar and placed them all among the other odds and ends. The items that had been found most recently were arranged in a separate locker. While looking through the contents, Naren found a stripped canvas bag that one of the employees had placed their previous day. It was still very early and their owners would certainly end up coming back to retrieve it, he thought. But two days later, after returning from another trip, 
Jack Naren noticed that the bag was still there and hadn't been reclaimed. Curiosity got better of him and he grabbed the bag, opened the zipper and was amazed at what he found. A wallet containing about $100 in cash, two room keys from the hotel, four master cards, but most importantly, two passports which belonged to the Lonergans. Without wasting a second, he grabbed the phone and dialed the number of the hotel where the Lonergans had been staying only to discover that his great horror that they had not returned after 48 hours and that all of their luggage was still there. Immediately, ideas began to rattle around the captain's head and he started to imagine the darkest scenarios. Was it possible that he had forgotten them on Sunday at the end of the trip? But they had done two head counts just to be sure that everyone was back on board. Could someone have made a mistake? He remembered very well that the 26 passengers that were picked up on the wharf on Sunday morning had all come back. What then could explain the forgotten handbag full of money and the identification of the couple's absence at the hotel? A cold chill ran down his spine. Unable to make a decision, he called the police and the search began the same evening, led by the Australian Coast Guard and the Navy. The search lasted for several days but was unsuccessful. Captain Aaron and his men were forced to cancel all current reservations and to halt all agency operations in order to accompany the investigators during the trips back and forth over the high seas. How could the absence of two stabilization jackets, sinkers and two weight vessels have gone unnoticed? Barked one of the police officers. The entire St. Crispin Reef was thoroughly searched with the help of sonar and a number of divers from the Royal Navy, but they eventually came back empty-handed. There was not a single trace of Tom or Ilian in the vast open water. Back in Port Douglas, the news of the Lonergan's disappearance was on everyone's lips and was topic of primary concern among the locals. The American embassy, which had been contacted in the interim about the disappearance at sea of two of its citizens, was quickly to point an accusing finger at Noreen and his crew. This was an act of negligence that would cost them dearly and very dearly. After close to three weeks following the disappearance of Eileen and Tom, the first clues eventually emerged on their own, spit out by the sea. Indeed, on February 2nd, 1998, a diving suit torn at the buttocks and elbow, probably belonging to Eileen, was found off a beach in Queensland. Three days later, it was Tom's buoyancy-controlled device that was located on a beach in Indian Head, a few kilometers from Port Douglas. Could the tears of the posterior parts of the wetsuit have been caused by shark bites? Five months later, another diving suit appeared with the words Tom Lonergan, Peace Corps, Fiji, and then there was no longer any doubt. After a scientific examination of the two diving suits, it was eventually determined that the tears presented on the wetsuits were not from the shark's teeth, but rather from friction against coral. But why had the Lonergans removed them in the first place? The explanation for this remained unclear. It might have been due to a traumatic delusion or itching from salt that seeped under the material which made it overheat during the day when the sun was strong and the water was still warm. Despite the mild weather conditions, which would have prevented or at least slowed down any kind of hypothermia, the couple probably succumbed to dehydration, not having planned for the fatal outcome of their adventure. When Outerage's senior instructor Catherine Traverso was questioned by the police, she recalled that during the third dive that the Lonergans pleaded with her to break away from the group to do their own thing, she used her own words. She said that Eileen Lonergan had shown their PADI certificates, which confirmed their extensive experience in the field and their ability to swim against the current. In late June 1998, a second ballast belt was found on shore in Port Douglas. But the most chilling discovery was definitely found 100 kilometers north of Fish City, more specifically in Cooktown, where a dive slate was spotted by a fisherman and immediately brought to the authorities. 
On it, a message containing various instructions and breathing techniques, probably scribbled by Tom Lonergan during the first part of the trip, but more importantly, was an SOS dated January 26, 1998. Monday, January 26, 1988, 8 in the morning, to anyone who might be able to help us, we were left behind by MV Outer Edge in the Agent Court Reef on January 25, 1998, at 3 p.m. Please come and rescue us before it's too late. Help! Based on this latest information, it was clear that the Lonergans had survived an entire night in the water, but beyond that, the details were unknown. Without their stabilizing vests, their ballast belts, and their weights, they would have not been able to float for very long, even though they were exceptional swimmers. The waves and powerful sea currents would have physically exhausted them and blurred their vision. After five months of endless searching, the only conclusion the Australian police were able to draw was that the Lonergans had perished at sea probably due to dehydration or exhaustion or both at once. However, other details that were even stranger would soon emerge that would call into question everything that had been discovered. Captain Jeffrey Nairn would be accused of neglecting and voluntary homicide and taken into custody to evade his trial. The parents of Tom and Eileen Lonergan jointly hired a lawyer from Melbourne and led the Queensland coroner. Noel Noonan know that they intended to bring a charge of voluntary homicide based on criminal negligence. Throughout the trial, which was held at the penal court in Queensland, several witnesses appeared, including citizens of Port Douglas, experienced divers familiar with the spot in Fish City, where the couple disappeared, as well as a panel of expert oceanographers. Based on their claim, it was agreed that half the sharks in the world, all species put together, lived in Australian waters, but most of them were harmless and not dangerous to humans. The diving suits that belonged to the couple bore no trace of any teeth mark or any blood, and consequently the possibility of a deadly shark attack was dismissed. Ben Crop, a veteran diver who knew the Great Barrier Reef more than anyone, vehemently disputed this claim and stated that the Lonergans could have well been devoured by tiger sharks. During his testimony in court, he made the following statement. Tiger sharks are very careful. They simply circle and watch their prey. They can do that for up to an hour before moving in closer, and I can tell you that as far as you might be able to swim, they will follow you for an entire hour before ripping off a piece of your skin. After that, there is no way you can escape. But even if sharks had devoured the Lonergans, why then was their stabilization vests and diving suits found without any traces of bites, scratches, or teeth marks? Graham Houston, the lawyer for Jack Naren, had already prepared his defense. In order to exonerate his client, he was able to get his hands on the couple's personal diaries. From that moment on, the trial proceeded in a whole new direction. In Tom Lonergan's personal journal, there was a passage dated August 3, 1997, which was six months before the events. Like a student who has just finished an exam, I feel my life is complete right now and that I'm ready to die. Two weeks before leaving Fiji, his wife used the same disturbing tone in her own personal diary. Tom hopes to have a quick and painful death. He hopes that it happens soon as possible. He has this desire to die that might lead him to doing something irrevocable. But what scares me the most is that I wouldn't be surprised if I took part in it too. Could they have been a suicidal couple who planned their deaths months in advance? That's at least what the lawyers are trying to prove. Other intimate passages from the couple's private lives were read in public in subsequent hearings. The couple discovered that things were not so rosy in the Lonergan's lives and that they were far from being the ideal American Peace Corps volunteers that they led everyone to believe. Apparently, Aline and Tom seemed to hate their jobs, hate their students, and hate the Fijis, which they compared to a third-world country. 
Tom even wrote that he had enough of throwing pearls before a swine and sharing his knowledge with students who couldn't care less. And his wife still further by adding that volunteer work was for idiots or the idle rich. It was also discovered that Tom clearly suffered from depression and a personality disorder, a kind of schizophrenia for which he was taking a great deal of medication. In the pages of his diary, he implied that his family had never appreciated Ellen and that his mother had been against their reunion right from the beginning. The impressions that this reading left on the audience was overwhelming. A very unhealthy, dominated, dominant relationship seemed to punctuate the couple's lives together. A destructive relationship that probably led to a suicide pact. There is another entry in Ellen's journal dated December 26, 1997, which read, Our lives are so intertwined and I'm not sure if I would really tell if they were really two people or one single person. I am still Aline, but mainly I'm Aline and Tom. I wouldn't know how to describe it with words, but I would just say that it's beyond dependence, beyond love. For lawyer Graham Houston, the couple had planned everything down to the minute in order to concoct their suicide at sea. To Houston's opinion, Tom Lonergan and his wife's request would have probably suffocated her before ending her life by letting her sink while carefully removing their suits and diving gear to suggest that it was an accident. Moreover, this theory was also supported by the testimony from Outer Edge instructor Catherine Traverso, who repeated before the jury what the Lonergans had said before their last outing at sea. We want to break away from the group to do our own thing. This last statement caused an outrage among the two families of the missing victims who furiously declared that the trial was defamatory, humiliating, and disrespectful towards them and their missing children. Among the witnesses from Port Douglas, they all sided with Captain Erin and his crew. After having examined the couple's bank accounts, the police discovered that no withdrawals had been made since Sunday, January 26, 1998. And furthermore, they had left their passports behind and their insurance policies had not been cashed. From then on, another equally bizarre theory began to emerge. Apart from the possible suicide, the Lonergans could also have been trying to cover their trail simply by planning a getaway in order to escape their previous lives. Thus, they could have basically vanished into thin air, and this very moment, they were most likely in a foreign country with new identities. The day after the disappearance, the captain of another boat docked in Agent Court Reef had stated that there were two extra passengers on board his charter for the return trip. In fact, these two mysterious passengers spoke in a strong American accent, while the rest of the passengers were all either Australian or British. Did the loner can slip among the passengers without anyone knowing and without attracting the attention of the crew? This theory was not considered very plausible and was eventually dismissed by subsequent hearings. The powerful testimony from the Outer Edge Agency secretary in turn supported both the hypothesis of suicide and that of an escape disguised as in disappearance. This middle-aged woman, who had worked for the travel agency for almost 20 years, swore that on the evening before the excursion that she had received a phone call from a man who insisted on knowing if there was an excursion on Sunday, January 25, included a stop at Fish City. The man spoke with a strong accent from the southern United States and that he seemed to be so anxious on the other end of the line that he repeated the same question several times in a row and that finally believing that someone was playing a joke or was unbalanced, she hung up on him. In the rest of the country, other allegations from eyewitnesses began to emerge. In fact, some people reported that they had definitely seen the Lonergans in pubs and restaurants day after their disappearances, as well as in the bookstore in Sydney, where they bought the film or their camera and postcards. They had also been seen in a hotel in Darwin, more than 3,000 kilometers from Port Douglas. What was fact and what was fiction in all this? At the end of his trial, 
Jack Nairn, the owner of the Outer Edge, was initially acquitted by the Australian Criminal Code. He was then retired a second time in civil court, which subsequently ordered him to pay $28,000 in damages and interest for having violated safety rules for negligence. The other members of the crew were given suspended sentences of between 5 and 10 months on the same charges. After these tragic events, the Outer Edge Agency permanently ceased operations and the captain's boat was later seized by Australian Navy. Since then, stricter rules of underwater activity have been established in Queensland with increased emphasis placed on taking passenger headcounts at embarkation and disembarkation from the marina to various spots on the high seas. On American community websites like Reddit, there are a variety of opinions. Users claim that lawyer Graham Houston deliberately chose the most sensational excerpts from the couple's diaries for the sole purpose of showing the dark and pathological sides of their personality. Moreover, it would subsequently be proven that the rest of the contents in the two journals were strictly routine and uneventful. The lawyer knew full well what he was doing by choosing these excerpts. He hoped to keep his client out of prison by supporting the suicide theory, which he succeeded in doing. In Australia, as well as in the United States, there are many who remain convinced that the disappearance of the Lonergans were purely simple and accidental, and that the only ones responsible for this tragedy were the boat's crew who took them on the excursion. The diving slate with SOS distress message was irrefutable proof that the couple knew that they were in great moral danger and they wanted someone to rescue them as soon as possible. The case caused quite a stir and generated a lot of media coverage. However, the American media would spend years accusing the Australian authorities of wanting to cover up the case for economic reasons. Port Douglas depended exclusively on tourism, and the idea of divers could have been forgotten in shark-infested waters by distracted and irresponsible boat crew would quite simply have driven away future divers and discouraged other tourists from visiting the area. Like the Lonergan case, there was another incident that stirred up the American media in 2010 when Ben McDaniel, a 30-year-old resident from Miami, mysteriously disappeared in the waters of Vortex Spring in Florida. McDaniel, an underwater diving enthusiast since childhood, had received his PAID certificate in freestyle swimming and was training to earn a cave certificate. On August 18, 2010, he made the first dive into an underwater cave in the Vortex Spring that lasted an hour. He did the same once more later that evening around 7.30 and would never be seen again. Only two days later, his Dodge van would be found in the parking lot of a nearby mini-mart. Inside, the police found around $700 in cash, Ben's driver's license, a cell phone, and a stack of diving magazines. The search to find the body of the missing man lasted for more than four months, during which every underwater cave in the entire Vortex Springs was thoroughly searched, but without success. The only items found at the entrance of the caves were the two tanks of compressed air, while normally a dive like this would have required that the tanks would have to be filled with the mixture of gas and oxygen. In 2013, Ben McDaniel was declared legally dead by the state of Florida, although his body had never been found. The fictionalized story of Tom and Aline Lonergan was adapted for the big screen in 2004 in the film Open Water. The film focused on the couple's ill-fated drift at sea and probable shark attack. We're at the end of our show for today, so feel free to listen to the other shows on the podcast and take five seconds to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. It's really important to us. You can also subscribe to the next episodes and follow us on Facebook to suggest new ones. Thank you and see you soon.
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.